It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, everyone, this is Ty. Uh, we did our key takeaways live on Twitter Spaces again this week. And we actually kind of had a little pre-chat, talked about some other stuff, non-football stuff, and it kind of rolled into football stuff before we actually got everything up and recording. So I just went ahead and included all the stuff that we got. Uh, so you have kind of like a cold open, soft open kind of thing. Hope you guys enjoy. Make sure you're subscribed. We will catch you on the big show midweek right here on 3 and Out, your national NFL podcast. has any confidence in the current Jets leadership. Um, you know, and I guess with apologies to Robert Saleh, like coaching staff, executives, ownership, nobody has any confidence that these picks are going to be used well or catapult these guys forward. So I think until, unless and until the Saints make their big move up with the two picks that they have, that they're probably going to do, that we all intend for them to do, uh, and take a quarterback until something like that happens. I just don't think there's a lot of mojo. Um, and you're going to see a lot of players who are either, because you have these hybrids, right? Where you have these players who are, a lot of the top prospects don't have a clear position. Um, and a lot of the top numbers, like workout freaks, we had all these combine standouts, but those are all, third, fourth, fifth round picks testing their way into the second or testing their way into the bottom of the first or bottom first guys testing their way into the top 10, top 15 conversation. You know, like everyone was so ready for Kyle Hamilton to go and, and run his way, you know, jump out of the gym and put up unbelievable numbers. Everybody was ready for Kyle Hamilton to show like what an unbelievable all around athlete he is. And like, you know, get into that number one overall pick, number two overall pick conversation. And like, he had a good combine, but there were like nine guys who ran four two forties. You know, and in in that context, he didn't have an amazing combine. And, and same thing, kind of okay. Aiden Hutchinson put up unbelievable numbers, but looked kind of forced. Don't be doing it. Kayvon Thibodeau probably would have put up even better numbers across the board, but he didn't run all the things and he didn't do any of the drill. You know, so it's like this whole none of the narratives are adding up to a complete story at the top of the draft. And and none of the prospects that we were hoping would kind of make themselves the story of the draft are, are doing it. And then none of the teams that have the picks at the big leverage points in this draft are teams that we are super excited about following going into training camp, going into this year. So I'm, I'm, I think it's just kind of a combination of not a lot of stories needing not a lot of opportunities for more stories. Oh, sorry, sorry, Mike, before you get in there, I think that's awesome. I think both your, uh, both your uh, comments were, you know, were, were spot on. It, it is, it is really, really bizarre because um, I just, it, I, like 
I feel like this is a, another 2013 draft or something like that where there was, you know, like, and that was all of the awful quarterbacks that people keep throwing into into my face when I say Malika 2, you know what I mean? And and obviously I need I need mental help for saying Malika 2, but I'm going to keep saying it for another, <laughs> for another, whatever, 10 days. And then we'll all breathe a sigh of relief when we get a defensive end. But, you know, it's just one of those things. It's just, um, obviously, it's always... The, it's always clearest to the person who's who's speaking the words and everything else. But I don't think there is a clear cut clear cut prospect anywhere. But you know, like obviously, I, I mean, Aiden's the safest. But like, why wouldn't you defend as you mentioned with the Jags? You know, your your Trevor Lawrence. It's like it's so weird with quarterbacks in particular because they've already re restocked or reordered last year's quarterback draft, and they've I've heard many. Many people sort of take a take a step back on how good next year's is going to be. Like, is it after Bryce and Young? Is it that great? And then other people said, no, there's half a dozen. You know what I mean? So it's all sort of speculation and, and everything else. But like, I just, I it it just is so bizarre because I I I actually think that if the if the Saints did some sort of cat magic to stay in the teens, I think there'll be two cracking players in the teens for the Saints. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm 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 sort of more excited about a 32 and 34 pick in many ways because it looks like there's loads of prospects and and the draft seems sort of absolutely bonkers because if we did if Detroit did take Malika two and you've got to fa- you've got to figure some sort of wide receiver run with all of those trades, it could be that there is some whammer jammer sort of defensive talent at the end of the first because there's a run of on QBs and wide receivers. Do you know what I mean? It's like nothing is set in stone. It could go a dozen different ways. And I just, yeah, I just, I, I just want to know how much you buy. Like, I mean, like, like, oh, I don't know what the right question is, but I just, I, I'll, I'll let my, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So thanks to my uh, slightly subpar hosting, I saw Shadi join, but I forgot to actually hit him with the co-host invite. Now I have, um, I'm going to, I'm going to let Shadi go and then I'll, I'll hit the introduction proper. Um, we'll go, that part will go in the feed. So Shadi, to set you up here, Dan's question, I think you got the gist of it from his response to me and Samantha, but basically this draft, why isn't it? why doesn't it have more juice at this point and then uh, also sort of more specifically what are the lions gonna do uh so go for it one of the more interesting like metrics that i think i've seen about this draft class is just a couple of sites have let it be known like websites have let it be known that their web traffic is down specifically around the nfl draft topics like immensely year over year like this is everybody's worst web traffic for the draft since like 2015 um which kind of goes to show from a public perspective how we all feel about this draft class like no one is getting bent out of shape excited for Kayvon Thibodeau or Aiden Hutchinson or um you know lots of these prospects like most of these guys are really really good but there's no generational talent there's no top quarterback there's no wide receiver that you can't live without nor no cornerback that we think is going to be you know the next daryl revis there are lots and lots of good players and i think i almost tend to agree with dan that i would rather have a couple of picks in the teens because you know you're going to get good players like another interesting you know, the sort of collection of news that I saw yesterday had like the quote unquote news and rumors from all over the web collated and collected uh, for, you know, two weeks before the draft or a week before the draft. And it was 
just insanity. Like Tyler Lindenbaum's going to go top 10. Tyler Lindenbaum's a second round pick. You know, Sauce Gardner is going to go top five. Sauce Gardner <laughs> is going in the, the 20s. And I think it just speaks to not how wrong some people are, which is probably also the case. But I also think it just speaks to this is very much, and I think I've used this you know, analogy before, it's almost like a Rorschach test. How you look at building a team, how you look at positional value, how you look at traits, you are going to have a vastly different board. And so when you look at this draft class, you see kind of what you want to see because there's a little bit of something for everybody. So what I don't think there is is that cornerstone foundational player that you know is just plug and play and for the next 15 years you never have to worry about that position ever again um I think there are some players who can become that I think there are players that you know if if Tyler Lindenbaum reaches his upside he's probably you know taking every center snap for the rest of his career uh if an Aiden Hutchinson or Trayvon Walker you know some teams are getting really excited about some of these players because of how they want to use them because they're such good scheme fits because they're such good culture fits. Uh, But yeah, I almost agree, you know, with your assessment, especially just particularly about the lions pick that what they do at the end of the first round and the top of the second round probably intrigues me more because, you know, there's a chance they use that last pick on a, quarterback to get that fifth year there's a chance they use that that top of the second round pick on a player who might end up playing more in his first year than than maybe a player who gets stick in sort of a rotational role you know because they draft him second overall but they've got some you know talent at that position as well so uh it's an exciting draft class i think to have more picks you want to probably maximize your top 100 picks rather than you know trading up and going for that top five Yeah, and I think there's, you know, stories are part of this, and we love the stories, and we love to be fascinated, and we love to do mock drafts, and we love to compare them, and we love to rate them, and this year, it's so it's so all over the place in terms of, of projection and needs and everything. I think everybody's mock draft is going to be terrible. Everybody knows it, but I think I would rather have a draft that's going to be full of surprises. That's exciting to watch. That's interesting. You know, I think that first night, that first round is going to be wild to watch and a lot more fun. I would rather have that, I guess, as a football fan, uh, maybe not so much as a content creator, but as a football fan, than a draft that's really interesting to talk about for three weeks. And then either everything goes in exactly the order we expected or nothing goes in the order we expected, and those three weeks of content were off or not. Uh, so, so I'm hoping that this means the boring run up to the draft means it's going to be an exciting draft. And I think, given the fact that that it's all chaos right now, nobody knows what's going to happen. That's quite likely. It is three and out your national NFL podcast. Welcome in everybody. You've been here already for 20 minutes or so. It is live. Monday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Time, just like we always do. We got to start with a little bit of a chit chat. Uh, people are coming in now, sharing stuff, um, sharing out on Twitter. Make sure you are sharing on Twitter if you're listening. Help people get in here because it's great when we get your questions, we get your feedback. We are a national podcast featuring three sports media pros. I'm Ty Shelter from 
538. Samantha Bunton from NBC Sports. Michael Shoddy from the 33rd team. Uh, guys, we're gonna we'll probably talk more draft, probably talk more stories, probably talk more uh, you know free agent news, all that sort of stuff. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the USFL launched again, relaunched, born again, risen from uh, zombiedom risen from being completely dead for a long, long time. And I, we've already invoked the specter of Donald Trump killed by Donald Trump in the mid eighties. USFL is back. Um, first off, just Samantha Shadi, Did you guys watch any of it? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> There's like 12 baseball games a day, man. Like I football needs to let us all have like, other things to do so i'm not necessarily opposed to watching like alternately off-season stuff but i mean i remember the story about your daughter who was like it's not football season when you were trying to and i'm very much with her on that like i need a break from this like i do this like 80 hours a week during the season and i think it's sort of interesting to see sort of other products that are connected to it especially sort of from an intellectual standpoint of, well, how are you going to make this different? How are you going to get people to watch this? What's going to be different about the rules? What will work? What doesn't? Like that sort of thing I think is kind of interesting. But in the end, what it is is bad football. It's people who couldn't hack it at the real football, so they're in the second place alternate football, which is like great if you want to play or you need to make some money or you happen to have a USFL team nearby. I guess they're all in the same location now this time, but uh, – you know, you don't have access to NFL games. Maybe NFL games are too expensive for you or your family to attend. These things are all great. But, like, I I don't know. It's not the best sport to watch a bad version of it. I think there are other sports that are better. There are also other sports that are worse. I mean, give me a bad football game any day over a bad basketball game. But yeah. I, just, yeah. I, I feel like the market, the NFL has crowded the market by making itself a year-round sport. So... And I think it's different when you work in the industry, too. Um, For us, it's, yeah, we may be more likely to watch it because we're somewhat obligated to do so, but we're also less interested in it because, like, we live it and breathe it all season long. So I don't really miss football in the (laughs) offseason. I miss certain elements of NFL football because, obviously, we love this and, and we love what we do. But, like, I don't necessarily need to see, like, a second, third, fourth tier version of it because I can't see the real thing right now. So I did watch some of it, and I am a football junkie. And I will say, if the USFL does nothing else, I think it will cure what I have always called, like, the worst segment of, like, the season or the year-long sports center ebb and flow, where when you get to those 12 baseball games a day and that's all there is, like, there's only so many web gems in 12 baseball games and there's only so many like actual top 10 plays there's just as much to talk about as there is with football you're just not into baseball so you don't want to talk about it (laughs) that's fair but when there's a mix when there's like some basketball some baseball some football i think it's better i think it's better tv so I, i will just say that that every once in a while if you can mix up like a really cool USFL play in the sports center top 10, I think it fixes that. I think it's probably the, the best thing, uh, you know, the best thing about it. Um, but I think the picture perfect example of what you're talking about, Samantha is, uh, Luis Perez, who is 
like kind of the best quarterback, not in the NFL, I guess. Like when I'm talking like professional, like how he approaches the game. Like if you want someone to start for your team, he's not super exciting, but he wins consistently. He won at Juco. He won at Division Two. Then he kind of bounced around. He was, you know, with a couple of teams, including the Lions in off seasons. But he's always sort of been that like XFL 2020 best quarterback, AAF best quarterback. Now he's probably the best quarterback in the USFL. And he had a pretty good game. He was split in time. He hasn't won a job outright yet because the other guy's a freak athlete. But, you know, after, you know, throwing the USFL's first touchdown pass and, you know, having, again, a pretty solid game with some nobody wide receivers, he just, like, bootlegged off of a play action, uncorked a ball, and it just died in the air. Like, it just... He underthrew the guy by probably 15, 20 yards. <laughs> and it ended up being a, a <laughs> poor duck. Poor it, ended up duck. Be, it ended up being a pass interference because it was so poorly <laughs> underthrown that the defensive back was like trying not to touch the guy as he came back for the ball. And that to me, that's the USFL in a nutshell. Like uh, there will be guys. There will be guys who sort of make their mark because we know, you know, we've even talked about this throughout the draft process this season that NFL teams aren't perfect. They miss on guys. And this is providing some tape for some of these guys who came from smaller schools or who have traits that weren't, you know, seen on first blush to get a chance. And, and I think that's really cool. I think that's the, again, probably the best part of these leagues in addition to the sports center highlights is going to be, you know, the fact that some of these guys end up getting chances, but at the end of the day, you're right, Samantha, where like, I just sat there, you know, trying to watch the Michigan Panthers game. And I was like, Oh crap. Like this is, this is the team I'm supposed to be rooting for because of geography, but I don't know if I can sit here and root for Jeff Fisher and, you know, Shea Patterson gave me some, some heart attack Wait, stuff at that's Michigan. that's what happened to Jeff Fisher? Yeah. In the USFL now? Yeah. Oh, man, now I really Coaching. don't want to watch the USFL. Coaching our Michigan Panthers. That's Samantha. terrible. I'm so yeah. sorry for you guys. Jeff Fisher. Oh, my gosh. And it, and it was a no. Jeff Fisher game. The offense looked completely inept in the first half, and then they did just enough in the second half to look like they might make it a game and then fell short. And they'll probably have the exact opposite happen next week, and they'll go 500 and call it a season. It's like very you're already, you can, Yeah, you can write the Jeff Fisher scripts already. <laughs> Yeah, it's t- I didn't watch any of it live, because as we discussed at the top of the show, uh, Sunday was both Easter and me and my wife's 18th anniversary, and so it was like, you know, I was refing soccer in the morning or the afternoon, and then it was like just all-out prep, because uh, you're at church in the morning, and then go to two different grandparents' houses, and then, you know, try and then note that it is our anniversary somewhere in there um so but i you know, did catch some clips online i saw Luis Perez you know, go out there and chuck a, a 49 yard pass on the first attempt like that's cool and you know this is the thing is that i strongly believe that a spring league needs to exist for the nfl um, and I think some of the attempts have been better than others. I really thought the AAF kind of figured everything out. You know, they made the TV product really interesting. They made the brand identity is cool. The uniforms look good. The football was decent. The coaches were interesting. Um, and, it, you know, the money on the back end didn't work out. I like the approach the USFL has taken doing this, like, all in one, you know, basically like a bubble, right? It's like the NBA, NHL, like playoff bubble but it's, they're going to bang out a regular season all in Birmingham. I do question the choice of Birmingham, despite it being connected to the coaching community so well. 
uh, because, you know, as some of the, the really cool drone shots showed, you know, that first game stadium was, was pretty full. And <laughs> some of those clips, there's like, you know, a couple dozen people in the stands and that's, that's tough. Um, but I think for me, it, you know, getting me to watch is going to be tough because like we talked about as content creators, I kind of need that space from the game a little bit. I need the time to look at other stuff. I have other demands on my time, but if we get to see it, like, you know, if it gets to be consistently interesting, I will definitely check it out. And I think it's, it's so important. This is something that I saw, you know, I went to Michigan state uh, from 99 to like 2002 and a half kind of. So I got to see you know, the last Nick Saban year, Bobby Williams, and the beginning of the John L. Smith era. And I happened to stay in the football team dorm. The football team dorm was like this residential college that I went to, the honors college and all athletes, right? And so like, I had a lot of personal friends go through this and, and some of them got drafted, some of them didn't. Some of them played in the arena league, some of them played in NFL Europe and they had different opportunities and some of them made it and some of them didn't, you know? And, and the ones that made it, were not necessarily the ones that I thought. And some of them bounced around a little bit before they caught on. And, you know, um, Kevin Vickerson, uh, who was, you know, one of my best college friends, ended up playing 10 years in the league. Uh, but he got there by you know, getting some reps in NFL Europe. And, and the quarterbacks are really the key. The quarterbacks who just don't get reps, and I was talking about this on Twitter over the weekend, is that uh, and th this kind of came around, oh, shoot, I'm forgetting who, it's one of the PFF guys. Uh, they were saying, like, what's what's your hot take, hottest football take? And he's like, I think that the quarterback protection rules have made the game worse. Because now it's all about who's the best quarterback, who's your best starting quarterback. Go all in on your starting quarterback, and you either have a top eight quarterback or you're, you're screwed. You know, because 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you could have a top eight quarterback, and then he's in week four and now you have to win with your backup right so not having to worry about backups has meant these guys aren't getting scouted they aren't getting reps i'm glad this exists is what i'm saying it needs to exist the football and the nfl will be better for it existing but in terms of a product for me it's not there yet all right, we are three and out, your national NFL podcast. This is as good as a spot as any to put the break in. Um, so I'm going to throw to break, quote, unquote, as this goes into the recorded feed. Of course, that goes anywhere that you get your podcast. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcast. Three and out is there. Make sure you're subscribed. Help us share. We're on Twitter at 3 Pod. And then, of course, we have our website, 3outpod.com. All the episodes go up there as well. And you can easily link, listen, and share from there. We'll be right back. More key takeaways from NFL action, football action over the weekend. And, uh, again, if you're listening, you'll be right here with us in two or three seconds on 3 and Out, your national NFL podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, we're back on Three and Out, your national NFL podcast. Key takeaways Monday morning. Everything from over the weekend, plus, of course, your questions and Q&As. Um, guys, I think it was really interesting. There's a, a quote, uh, you know, anonymous football person quote uh, from Peter King's column this morning, talking about how, you know, it, it's so unpredictable. Uh, apparently, it was a general manager. says, you can take the top 20 most plugged in guys in your business, your business being our business, sports media, Ask them to pick the top 10 guys in this draft. I would bet a lot of money no two have the same top 10. You don't know who's going one or two or three at this point of the year. You've got a mysterious year. Um, I thought that was kind of a fascinating quote because if we, the sports media hive mind complex, can't all get on the same page. You know, at this point, at this point, coming up to the draft, we usually have a like consensus hive mind top 10. But at this point, we're not even close. I, I have to feel like there are going to be some massive curveballs when you start putting actual NFL teams into the mix and how they scout and grade these players differently. Are we in for another, like, you know, what was the Ryan Tannehill year where everything was just curveball after curveball after curveball? We couldn't believe that the teams were taking these guys where we were taking them. Yeah, it does make me wonder. And this is why I feel like, yeah, I know the draft is kind of, okay, we're dragging a little bit here. People aren't as interested as usual. I don't know that that necessarily means we're going to get like a boring draft this time around. Because, like, I mean, some of this, I think, is because this draft, based on who's picking where and what's available, is going to be about, like, individual team-specific needs. So that might be part of why there's not a lot of consensus. But at the same time, if you take a bunch of media people who are draft knowledgeable, you know what every team needs, and we're still getting different answers. So I don't know if, I mean, if you're saying, okay, the most plugged in people, are we talking about people who would be likely to know what a team might do? Or are we talking about people who would be likely to know what the best choice for the team there would be? Because what would be interesting to me is if we're actually talking about a bunch of people who have some level of insider knowledge as to how a team might behave here, not what their tendencies are, not what any of us who do this for a living could tell you based on precedent and sort of personality and style in the front office and what have you, but that you actually had some piece of knowledge that said, okay, this they're going to trade back or they're going to do something shocking or this person's going to do this, which is going to cause this person to do this. That's where I think you get some of that, but it depends on who you're asking, but it's weird. And I, again, I would attribute it to a lack of sort of clear star power at the top of this draft uh, <laughs> that when you don't have those big marquee names, I mean, I don't know, is, is Aiden Hutchinson like the guy I mean, who is the guy in this draft? I mean, I don't even think we can all agree on who the guy is. So yeah. that's part of the problem, too. 
And it's not just because he's not a quarterback. It's because there is no guy. There's a handful of names, which you stop anybody on the street who's watched a football game, they're going to be able to tell you who they are. But we don't have the guy. And I think that's kind of messing with this too in the same way as it has sort of dried up the interest in it because people don't know what to do. I mean, people who have informed opinions don't know how this is going to go because we don't have any kind of clear-cut jumping-off point, whether that's Jacksonville or whether that's just, oh, because you're right, normally we can take the first 10, 15 and get a lot of it right. <laughs> so I think what's interesting, too, is that you know there, there are definitely tiers. Like, I think we don't know who the guy is, probably at any position, because, again, beauty is in the B.I., in the eye of the beholder. So there are lots of teams that absolutely love Kenny Pickett, who feel like Kenny Pickett is the best quarterback in the draft class. Are they? And, are they? Yeah, they're a hundred percent. And there are teams are that like him the better Panthers? than Malik. It might, it might, the Panthers might be one of them. The, there are teams that like him better than Malik Willis. His tape is better. His, his tape is the best in this draft class. That's true. That is, period. That is. But then you start looking at teams that are going to take him off their board completely because they're just not going to draft a guy who's that small. They're not going to draft a guy whose hands are that small. They're not going to draft a guy who has probably topped out his college production. I mean, we watched as you know the the late nineties, early two thousands taught us that the Ken Dorseys of the world were not viable NFL quarterbacks. The Doug Flute, or sorry, not Doug Flutie, the the Chris Winkies of the world were not viable NFL quarterbacks, no matter how good they were in college. And lots of people are sort of drawing that comparison to Kenny Pickett, where fantastic college quarterback who figured it all out his senior year, who ran the offense as well as anybody, who did great things for his college, but you know. Let's start your coaching career, kid, because you're not an NFL quarterback. Lots of guys feel that way about Kenny Pickett. Lots of guys turn around and say, I think he's the best quarterback in the draft class. Um, You know, there are lots of fun things to say about Trayvon Walker, who has shot up draft boards. And there are people, uh, you know, I, I can't. There are people who say he absolutely isn't going top five and people who absolutely say he's Jacksonville's pick. And... (laughs) <laughs> Again, beauty is in the eye of the beholder because this is a guy who sort of just figured things out, had his best year for a national championship team his last season, and tons of his production didn't come from being a defensive end. It came from them moving him around, and they had so many bodies on that defense that they put him as a three-tech lots of times, as an undersized interior defensive lineman. And that's where most of his production, most of his pressures came from. And when you look at sort of how many of his production, you know, sacks, pressures, QB hits, things like that, came when people just didn't account for him, it's, it's absurd. Like, the fact that their defense was so good that he was just unaccounted for in a way that Aiden Hutchinson was never, even with Ojabo on the same defensive line, Aiden Hutchinson was always being doubled. Kevin Thibodeau was always being doubled. Uh, you know, Johnson from Florida State was always, always being doubled. Carl Loftus was always being doubled at Purdue. Um, Trayvon Walker, or Trayvon Walker wasn't. And so there are lots of ways where you watch his tape, you're like, man, maybe this guy isn't the dude. And, and at best, maybe he's like a poor man's Aaron Donald where you have to move him around a little bit and not just line him up and, and go for it. And, I mean, very poor man's Aaron Donald. So, you know, Malik Willis. There are people who absolutely 
you know, like our listener, banging the table for him at number two, or at least saying that he probably should be the guy at number two. And then there are people wondering if he's the, the Lions pick at 32, or if he's the Lions uh-huh. pick in the top of the second uh-huh. round. So, it, it for me, when we talk about, you know, the quote-unquote people in the know, A... You know, two weeks before the draft, there's going to be so much smoke flying. There are going to be so much teams who are planning things, not only outside the building, but they're planning things inside their building to learn who they can trust. You know, newer scouting staffs are, you know, they're being told all sorts of stories that, you know, leak out of the building just to see what leaks out of the building. There's so much smoke right now. You can only believe, you know, half of what you see and a third of what you hear. But on top of that... I might talk to one team and get a hundred percent verifiable. This is what we believe about a prospect, about you know a certain you know positional ranking, et cetera, et cetera. And then you turn around and talk to another team, and like I said, it, it might be scheme dependent, but it might just also be be trade dependent. Like there, the the receivers are a good example. There are receivers in this draft class who a, a number, a handful of them you know, probably two hands full of them that can help your team almost immediately. But some of those guys have torn ACLs and we might see guys get drafted in the top of a very deep class who have a torn ACL and might not be able to help you in the first year because people just think they're that good. Like I would rather wait on this guy than grab one of these six, you know, other guys who other people might have draft might have like ranked higher. You know, so we might end up getting like a, a situation where you, know, you take the the receiver out of Alabama who tore his ACL in the national championship game. You might end up getting him take, taken like top ten, and someone like Chris Olave, who very good receiver, a guy that other people have ranked top ten, he could fall out of the first just because of you know the the minute way the positions get ranked on different boards and different teams looking for different traits. And it's people will sit there and say like, why is he falling? Why is he falling? Why is he falling? But it's not, it's not like people don't like him. It, and I'm using just him as an example. He could, again, he could go top 10, but for these players who, why are they falling? Why are they falling? It's going to be minute little differences in the board grades both in, within the position, but also how you rank these different positions. Because, you know, a guy like Zion Johnson, offensive lineman out of Boston College, I have him as like a top of the second round guy. There are people who think he's the best interior offensive lineman of the draft. He could end up going top 10. You know, a team that, that, that is really looking for an interior offensive lineman. Yeah. They look at his size. They're not necessarily looking for someone who can has to play center. They're looking for a guard. They end up drafting him in the top 10. And, every, and then someone has to drop. Someone has to drop. So, to me, this, this draft is just so full. And I think COVID had a negative effect on this draft class because so many guys stayed last season that it made this draft class bigger. It made this draft class harder, like more unwieldy. And it made this draft class more middle heavy than I think any draft class we've seen recently. And when it's so heavy without that sort of like Trevor Lawrence guy at the top of the draft class, or even a Jadavian Clowney, or a, you know, just top-notch prospect, you know, at the end of the day, you know, again, I saw a news report this weekend, Ikem Ikwanu, the offensive tackle from NC State, he's going to be the Jaguars pick. 
you know, there was like six guys who were absolutely going to be the Jaguars pick right now. And (laughs) then I saw, you know, again, a well-placed insider doing a mock draft where he was like the 20th pick. So it's just impossible to tell. And I do think that this anonymous quote to Peter King is probably correct that you just talk to all these people and they have such a wildly different view because this draft class is just so enigmatic. All right, it's three and out your national NFL podcast. We are live here on Monday morning, just like we always are. Got a good number of people in this Twitter space where we've been doing it the last few weeks. If you have a question, have a topic you want to get to, even if you just have a take, go ahead and uh, request the stage. Definitely take your questions here today. We've got lots to get to. Um, I'm I'm going to kind of follow up on that a little bit. And I think it's, it's interesting because this is kind of, you know, the COVID push. The COVID push um, has, has pushed out, and Dan brought this up at the beginning, Dan, Dan Pask, a uh, listener, uh, is that a bunch of prospects got pushed out into this year, and we were thinking this is going to be kind of a super year, and instead we don't have a ton of prospects at the top end of the draft. What I think this is going to end up meaning is, and I think this is borne out by you know what some evaluators are saying, is that the third, fourth, fifth round, you know, you're going to have a lot of talented players. You're going to have some incomplete prospects. Um, you know that that had a weird college career, or they have weird college tape. Uh, you know they opted out, they came back, they stuck around another year. Um, they played a weird level of competition because teams are scrambling to redo their conference seasons, and then you had games canceled or postponed, and you know played different games, different times, that sort of thing. You're going to have a, a real thick third, fourth, fifth, sixth round where two, three, four, five years from now, people like me. People like Shadi, people like Samantha are going to be covering what a great draft class this was in the third, fourth, fifth round. That doesn't help us now. That doesn't give us things to talk about now. I remember when I was a kid, when I was an adolescent, when I was a teen, watching the NFL drafts coverage, you know, back during the old format, especially. You'd be, it'd be that Sunday, you know, rounds four through seven on Sunday. Here we go. And you'd have either the bleary-eyed A team, or usually at that point the B or C team, come on and be like, hey, everybody, don't touch that dial. You got to watch this day. You know, Terrell Davis got drafted in the sixth round. You know, they'd bring up the same old take. Terrell Davis got drafted in the sixth round. Tom Brady got drafted in the sixth round. This is, this is the day. You know, and they'd bring on, oh, you know, could be Bill Polian. Could be Gilbrandt, could be somebody else that bring on some, you know, old uh, evaluator um, who was still around the league a little bit, and they come on and go, "Oh yeah, this is where this is where you build your team. If you can get usable players out of rounds four through seven, oh boy, you're doing great." You know, and it's like, okay, they didn't stop the draft and have a party when they drafted Terrell Davis. They didn't stop the draft and have a party when they drafted Tom Brady. Nobody knew. Nobody knew that Tom Brady was going to be Tom Brady. Scott Pioli was like, if I had any idea that Tom Brady was going to be Tom Brady, I'd have traded every pick to get 1-1 and taken him there. (laughs) So it's like, that doesn't help us having a very deep draft in real life when it comes to talking about it and and having those stories that we can kick back and forth and, and, and you know, satisfy our narratives and have good content to talk about. Well, and I think some of this comes up every year, too. You know, we yeah. always think yeah. it's, oh, no, you know, it's just like the whole, oh, this is going to be a bad class or it's going to be a boring draft, and it just doesn't shake out that way. And also, like, you really can't evaluate a draft until way later, and you just nailed it with exactly why. You know, none of us are old enough to have been covering the draft when Tom Brady was drafted, but we were old enough to probably be watching it. 
um, <laughs> or at least tracking it. And this is why nobody actually remembers it. Everybody thinks they remember it because we've all seen the, like, you know, shirtless dad bod Tom Brady photo 10 million times on, like, every Patriots game and every Bucks game. And, like, look at this guy. Who'd have thunk it? You know, over and over. But I, I don't think most of us actually saw that in real time. And I'm sure it didn't occur to anybody, like, hey, this might be the guy. So that's part of it, too. Um, I, I also think this is probably more like a question than a statement for shoddy so the middle rounds um because this is crowded the middle rounds like is this an advantage or did, i mean we talk about how gms kind of make their name in the middle rounds right like you should hit your early picks nobody expects you to hit the late ones but to be a, a truly good gm a truly good evaluator of talent you have to hit in the middle rounds so does the crowded field make that easier to do just purely by numbers or does it make it harder because there's more to sift through I think the first one, I think they're going to be a, maybe not majority, but a bigger plurality of teams this season that end up hitting on their mid-round, late-round picks. I think we even saw a little bit of that trend start, again, as, as COVID has had an effect on the college game, we saw... We saw undrafted free agents probably more often than not get chances last season because they were in the building. And a lot of times, you know, pre-COVID, you would you know, have a couple of cornerbacks go down. You sort of had this, you know, traveling salvation show of, you know, end of roster players who would go from team to team every season and, and help out who, who needed, you know, the most help. And so last season we saw you know, undrafted freedoms get more of a chance because they were in the building, didn't have to do the test, didn't have to, you know, bubble up for two weeks before they could play. So we saw that happen last season. This season, I think we're going to see more and more middle, late round guys who just have more talent, who just are bigger, faster, stronger, have played more football, have played more, you know, have had more production playing that football because they stuck around in school for a year and this is a bigger draft class. I think the end of that trend is probably going to come next year when, again, you've got these guys who've got the extra COVID year, um, you know, finally done in, in college for the most part. So I think it, it'll be an advantage for teams that know what they're doing. And that's probably you know, a third to 40% of the teams really have a handle on this is what our system needs. This is what our team needs. And then you've got, uh, you know, teams that just typically don't draft well in those rounds anyway. And they probably will still make mistakes because they'll be drafting for the wrong things or they won't have, you know, their systems figured out. Um, but I think a really good example, I think the Bengals recently, the Bengals have, uh, had a bunch of draft classes, I think, in the last, you know, five, ten years with, with Tobin, where they just keep getting guys in, like, the third round who everyone thought was going to go in first. And they drop for some stupid reason, and, you know, the Bengals pick them up, and they end up being the player everyone thought they were, and they should have gone in the first round, and the Bengals got them in the third. And then the same thing happens in the fifth, and the same thing happens in the seventh. Uh, you know, I think the Raiders were that way a little bit under Mayock. He had some really good... Uh, middle round picks, even if his first round picks tended to suck. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can continue that trend. So I think it will help the teams that typically do well to do better. I don't think it's going to help the teams. Maybe maybe they get lucky here and there because you, you 
land in like a, a Greg Dulkich, the the tight end who, you know, is on the top of some boards and is, you know, fourth or fifth tight end on other boards. You know, if that's a guy that you can land because he falls to like the third or fourth round, that can probably be your backup tight end with a bunch of production this season. Uh, you know, Jelani Woods, the tight end from Virginia, same way. So just depending on how the board falls, who ends up with some of these guys who could be the first guy or could be the fourth guy, if they end up being the fourth guy and you land him in the middle of rounds and they end up overperforming that slot and end up being the best tight end in the draft class or the best interior lineman or, or you know, the third best offensive tackle in the draft class, even though they were drafted in the third, fourth round, this is going to really make a lot of guys look smart, just, just in a hurry. So, um, some, some of the teams are going to need luck. And I think the teams that are typically good at it, I think we've seen, you know, the saints hit on a lot of late round, mid round draft picks. We've seen the, the Packers do really well lately. You know, those are the teams that I think are going to succeed and, and end up doing really well. All right, we are three and out your national NFL podcast. It's our Monday morning key takeaways. So we do every Monday morning. We've been doing it on Twitter spaces for a while. You guys have been showing up. It's been very cool. Make sure you are sharing. Make sure you're helping get people in here. And then make sure you're subscribed so you hear this uh, when, in the regular feed, wherever you get your podcasts. I want to do a last call. Any other questions, any other topics, anybody wants to hit uh, before we get towards wrapping this up. Uh, it always it always pays to kind of keep the, the phone lines open, kind of keep uh, an eye open because we tend to have some news like like late Monday morning. We're getting into that, that time now where people are waking up, people are having their coffee, and newsbreakers are starting to break news. So I always want to uh, catch anything that happens if we can, because it's, it's great to get that fresh for you guys and get it into the feed. Shadi, Samantha, anything else that you want to hit before we uh, wrap this up? Uh, not on my end, no. Shadi, anything? I would say I, uh, I saw the request from Dan Pask. I think he's got another question. Oh. I, I All right. put him in there. Sure. All right, cool. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much, guys, and uh, cheers for cheers for the space. I I have a cheeky question. What the hey? Um, what is your favorite pick that you would like your team to make, and what do you think they will pick? And I'll start Malik Willis at two. I guess hey, just go for it, Samantha. Go for it. I was going to ask if I was picking for the Browns or the Bills. I'm not sure what I'm doing. You've got two personalities. Uh, you decide. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's stick with the Browns for now. Um, just take a wide receiver. I I don't even care who it is. Um, just wide receiver. Maybe several of them, two or three, ideally. Um, other than that, you're drafting for depth for the most part, which is a great situation to be in. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess I'll go next. I think I think the Lions end up drafting a quarterback with that last pick in the first round, or maybe even using some of their draft capital because they've got like top ten. Uh, you know, so I don't think they do go Malik Willis at two. I think it's possible. Uh, you know, I, I don't disagree that there's a very good chance of that happening. I think the fact that they're looking at other quarterbacks bringing Kenny Pickett this week says you know they're not sold on Willis as the dude, unless they're just bringing in Pickett as a smokescreen, in which case they are. Um, but I think the smart play will be to bring in a quarterback at the end of the first even if you have to trade up a few spots to get the guy that you want, because then they've got that fifth-year option. Because if he ends up, you know, Matt, 
maturing into the guy who can challenge Goff. You jettison Goff next year, then you have that guy for a full four years on a rookie deal. That is the smart roster-building play. At the same time, I think they will do so at the peril of not landing of just a very good defensive back, which they still need on that roster. And as good as some of the like undrafted free agents, late round picks played in their defensive backfield, which was just decimated by injuries last year. I think you know, if you can get a Brisker from Penn State, or if you can get a Lewis Sign from Georgia, uh, you know, if you can get you know one of the many cornerbacks who's probably going to fall into the the late first, early second round that are probably you know top twenty prospects in this draft class. I think I think you're giving up on solidifying that portion of your roster that has been so bad for so long and the chance of getting you know someone who probably wouldn't be drafted in the top two rounds in next year's quarterback draft class. So Dan, I'm 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 gonna do this sort of pessimistically. Um basically basically I my, my number one pick that I want the Lions to make is not Malik Willis at two, and this is not a, a slight on you um i'm i've broken this down on twitter at various points and in private conversations with friends i don't think i've ever laid this whole take out on air um whether that's in radio spots or on this podcast so let me as we wrap up here let me go ahead and put this out here's the thing what did the lions achieve with the matthew stafford trade they got jared goff they got two first round draft picks they got flexibility Right, so they had two first round picks last year, two first round pick, or sorry, they have two from you know they had the first round pick last year, they had two first round picks this year, two first round picks next year. Last year they were in position and could have used this year's first to move up. Um, Justin Fields fell to them, they passed at seven. They could have gone up for somebody. They could have taken Fields at seven. They could have dropped and taken Mac Jones. They had all those options. They didn't do it. This year they have two first round picks. They're sitting at two. They can take their pick of the lot next year. You know, hopefully if the plan is going according to plan, they're not picking it two. They're not picking it five. There might be eight, 12, 14, who knows, but they have two firsts. They have ammo. They can move up and get any quarterback they want. So you can basically get your pick of prospects out of three drafts. We don't know that next year's class is going to be, significantly better than this year's class there isn't a trevor lawrence waiting there aren't three or four or five after your trevor Lawrence. you know there's two guys we're pretty sure about are going to be in the mix we don't know how well in the mix and then who knows right i think for me this year malik willis is the only guy with potential difference maker upside but there is a lot of bad tape a lot of bad tape and I think people are thinking about him as a short Justin Fields. And I think the comparison is more of a fast Jalen Hurts. And I don't think fast Jalen Hurts. And again, this is this is like upside, right? This is like if everything goes right, if the development is there, if everybody, if he jives with the offensive coaching staff and the receivers and, and everything works out, he hits that upside. Uh, I don't think fast Jalen Hurts is good enough to justify number two overall. I don't know if fast Jalen Hurts is a significant upgrade over what the Lions got out of Goff over the last half of the year. Of course, almost anything is an upgrade over what the Lions got over the first half of the year. So I agree. 
right now would be a wonderful time for the Lions to take a great quarterback prospect at two. I don't believe Malik Willis is a great quarterback prospect. You know, ideal scenario is probably what Shadi is outlining, which is Willis is there on the board when the Lions are picking, or, the, you know, he's falling into the 20s and the Lions kick in a third or something and, and move up from the bottom of one or from the top of two to go and take Willis at like 21. Um, but, and I think if, I think if he, if it is a Pickett or a Willis or a Matt Coral or somebody like that in one of those bottom, you know, bottom of the first, top of the two, you aren't making that commitment where you're saying, not only is this, that this guy is our guy. Jared Goff, your days are numbered. He's going to come into training camp, and this coaching staff is hitched to the wagon of whether this kid works out or not. I think if you're picking at 2-1, that's not the same thing. Like, yeah, he becomes the quarterback of the future. Yeah, he becomes an instant upgrade over Tim Boyle as backup, but he's not the crowned coming king, and we're not waiting for a guy, especially with Willis. Every evaluator is like, like him or no, he needs time. Like him or no, he's got to sit for a year. And if he's drafted number two overall, fans are going to be screaming from him from June on. And and that also, and I'm and I and I'm also on team. We cannot we cannot build our our quarterback, build our franchises around our quarterbacks' fees. You know, and as I said with Baker Mayfield, Baker, if you want the Browns to run their franchise based on how your feeling your feelings the way the Packers do with Aaron Rodgers, you've got to play a lot closer to how Aaron Rodgers plays than how Baker Mayfield has been playing. You know, and I know, Samantha, injuries aside, everything else, you know, it's not to slight Baker Mayfield, but, like, the, the Lions can't run their franchise around Jared Goff's feelings. Oh, you're preaching to the choir, man. I don't even think you should do it for a guy like Aaron Rodgers. And right, he's obviously right, right. way better than Baker. I mean, I love Baker, and I think he got a bad deal, but no, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's where I'm saying you can't, you know, you can't just say, oh, well, if, if Jared Goff has to look over his shoulder, like it's going to be unfair to Jared Goff. But at the <laughs> same time, you, you, you see, you might have something with Jared Goff. And if you do bring in Willis at two and you say, Jared Goff, sorry, what you did, you know, in that game you played against the Arizona Cardinals, where you looked like, you know, 2017, 2018, Jared Goff, where you looked like you could be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. You know, you played a more or less flawless game and beat one of the better teams in the NFL doing it with a roster that is nowhere near as as deep or as broad as, as Arizona's, you know, and then going, okay, that's not good enough. We're going to take this kid from Liberty University who's, you know, got miles of bad tape, played with no competition and played with nobody in particular. Then, yeah, you probably tank your chances of making Jared Goff a thing and you do it for a guy who's got a very low a very low chance of hitting his upside. And I think for the people who are like, hey, Malik Willis is the next Josh Allen, I don't think Josh Allen should have been the first Josh Allen. Look, the chances that Josh Allen, from watching his Wyoming tape, the chances that Josh Allen became Josh Allen were small to begin with. I think the chances that Malik Willis becomes Josh Allen are even lower. So that, that's where I come down. I think this is a deep draft. I think the Lions need a lot of help all over the field. They could use Kyle Hamilton. They could use three Kyle Hamiltons. They could use an edge rusher. They could use three edge rushers. They could use interior help as well on the defensive line. Um, they, they could even, if you're sitting there at two and you go, look, Evan Neal, plug him in at guard. You know, and then you've got 
you know, four or five Pro Bowl. You know, the, the one guy that I would not say on that line is a 10-year Pro Bowler going forward is the guy who actually made the literal Pro Bowl last year. So you have five Pro Bowlers out of the offensive line. I think that would make more sense to me than taking Malik Willis at two. Ty, I, I feel honoured. I feel honoured that you were able to get that off your chest. I think you you know you jumped the shark with Evan Neal at the end, but we have to let it go. But <laughs> I just want to say one thing, because it literally, you walked into a room, just like walked all around that room, did silent but di- deadly farts, and then left the room. <laughs> um, what I want to say is this. Uh, Jared got, I mean, I, I got his jersey. I feel like a complete traitor, uh, but I also don't, because, because I, like, what our, uh, it's really funny because our, our, we we remember we okay so let me say this Jared Goff's like last season was amazing and, and 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 horrible and really really bad in the middle do you know what I mean but like like there's just this aspect where we people talk about his mental strength and I'm just saying like what he went through last year we don't have to worry about his mental strength to make it through that year and come out playing like he did against Arizona was amazing and you're right I I don't know if his ceiling is that 2017-2018 Rams or that Arizona game but it feels to me that with Jared Goff he needs to play at his maximum in order for us to have a shot I don't think I think Matthew Stafford had another gear beyond that and I think Malik Willis has another gear beyond that and, I, and, I, and I'm being cocky about Malik so I apologize looking at last year's stuff with Lawrence and with Fields like I feel they're my favorite two from last year uh, Justin Fields had a terrible start with Chicago Lawrence had a terrible start with the Jags but no one's writing them off yet so it's sort of in that nature nurture field you know what I mean and so if we want to give our coaches, the Detroit coaches, credit for for not letting Jared Goff finish his career as a backup quarterback because he can now finish as a starter. That's what his last year did. Then we also had to give them the potential credit that they can nurture and get the best out of Malik in that redshirt year. And you're absolutely right that we, as fans, will be clamoring for that guy to get on the field from June, if not earlier. But but Jack Dan will just calmly say no and we'll wait and we'll do what he says because he's six foot however big and he could beat me up but i just want to respond and say thank you and that was awesome like you literally but once you hit evan neal you had to stop <laughs> no no i i hear you there again thanks again uh for joining thanks for the questions fantastic stuff um and i'd love to kick it around this is, this is why we do it this is why it is fun to talk about this, this is why we take time out of our monday morning 8 a.m uh, go through nine o'clock a little bit after things are popping here on key takeaways again this has been recorded this is going to go up in the feed today what feed three and out your national nfl podcast we're on apple podcast we're on spotify we're on stitcher we're on soundcloud overcast castro iheart uh, Spreaker.com, the host site. And then, of course, we have our actual website, 3outpod.com. Check it out. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you follow at 3outpod right here on Twitter. You will see our Twitter spaces every Monday and you will see our episodes go out, plus all of our chatter and everything we do during the week. Thanks again for joining us. We will see you back here next week live on Twitter spaces for 3 and Out, your national NFL podcast.